Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. We're trying to get an understanding of the Lord's Supper as we go through the second half of chapter 11. And in verse number 20, the Bible says, When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Uh, I'd like you to cross-reference that with Hebrews chapter number 10, verse number 25. And we'll make some comments on it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the Bible says, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another is so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we have two different problems uh, that we see contrasted in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Hebrews chapter number 10. Problem we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is they're coming together. They're just doing it wrong. The principle brought out in Hebrews chapter 10 is people who don't want to come together. <laughs> so you need to do both. You need to be able to come together with God's people. And we need to also be able to come together in the right way and worship the way the Lord would have us to worship. Now, we know it's in spirit and in truth, but there is some. There are some Bible lessons that you learn. Without any preaching. Without any teaching. When Christians just come together and you know what you learn? You learn how to get along. That is so important. And our crowd, the Bible-believing, King James-only, independent, fundamental, premillennial, pre-tribulation, all the, whole, all the descriptions that you can line up, we have got to be able to get along. With brethren and sisters that might not see every little thing the way we do. It is one thing to mess up the Lord's Supper. It's another thing to have petty fights over petty things and find reasons to not assemble together. We can praise the Corinthian church for doing for doing this coming together. And they're receiving rebuke and correction from Paul and that's a pretty good thing help me God help me God help y'all that we don't become so haughty so puffed up that we can't receive correction I don't ever want to be a preacher where somebody can't approach me and and give me some some good feedback give me some criticism I'm not talking about turning into Sunday into a correct fest what I'm talking about is having a hard attitude that's willing to receive correction. That Corinthian church continued to assemble together. Paul didn't let them have it, and then all of a sudden they scattered. It's pretty good to do things wrong but still come together. Too many people, I think, are so proud and so haughty, they can't go anywhere. That's a hard issue. That's a hard issue. Exhorting one another, advising, warning, and cautioning. Uh, young people and older people alike, I think we can all get some help from that. From that. 
All right, back to verse Corinthians 11. Look at verse number 20. For when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not. Paul points out when he says this is not of the Holy Spirit's inspiration. It's not what you have in view. You're together, but your view's wrong. Uh, You're not going to fool the Lord by coming together. You're not going to fool the Lord by doing activity. You're not going to fool the Lord by saying the right things. The Lord knows your motive. Your desire and your real motive is what the Lord's after. And we know what their motive was. Look at verse 21. It was their own supper. For an eating everyone taketh before other his own supper. It wasn't the Lord's. It was theirs. And Paul points out their motive. If there's one thing that we have a trouble with, and we always will, we won't really know people's motives. The Lord does. You've got to get your heart right before God. And I've got to do the same thing. The Lord knows our motives. Get Ephesians chapter 2 and Galatians 5. Make that Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 verse number 2. Watch the Bible says, with all lowliness and meekness with long suffering forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body one spirit even as you're called in one hope of your calling one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is above all through all and in you all but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, but is but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And watch what he watch what he gave. Some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And it says some, it doesn't say all. We all have different gifts. And you know why those different gifts were given? Because we can all come into unity, or I'm sorry, verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. When we come together, we get perfecting. We get edifying. Verse number 12, 13, I'm sorry. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Think of yourself as a cup right now. <laughs> And imagine that you've got about an inch of water in that cup. We're not full. When we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ corporately, we should be filling that cup and getting more full with more of Christ and more of who he is. So we add about another inch to that cup, if you will. So that our cup is overflowing with the richness of Christ and the fullness and the unity of who he is. And I'm telling you, we can function as a healthy, growing 
local body of Christ. We've got to get full of him, not full of ourselves. That was the problem in, in, in chapter 11. It was their supper. It wasn't the Lord's. It was about them. Look at verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. You take that water now and you start shaking it. And you get, you know, how it is at the table. You know, you don't want your cup and elbow uh, direction. It's going to get tossed. It's why we tell, you know, we have table manners because we don't want cups getting knocked over at every meal so that we don't reach and, and all that. Think of that cup. Think of yourself as that cup, that inch of water. You're either going to get some fullness in there and add another inch or you're going to get it's going to be shooken around and you're going to lose some stuff. And we're warned about that and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. Things sound good and cunning craftiness. Where may they lie in wait to deceive? Deception's a real thing. Verse 15, but speaking truth and love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Last verse. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh itself of the body under the edifying of itself in love. We should be joined together around the truth of God's word. I've said this before, I'll say it again. The epidemic that we're suffering in in America is we are starved. Americans are starved of Bible truth. No more is it going through the Bible and trying to understand the Bible and try to bring truth out of the Bible. It's just every wind of doctrine. It's just deceitfulness on every corner. Now, I'm not going to retreat because of that. I'm going to advance. I, I'm not going to be afraid of that. I'm going to recognize it. I'm going to be cautious. And then I want to pray that the Lord would use me to advance his work. We don't want to retreat into a closet, but we can't walk around acting like there isn't that problem. People are devoid of Bible truth. And in 1 Corinthians 11, they're devoid of Bible truth. Paul comes in and he's going to help them out. He's going to show them, you guys are about you. You're not about you're not about Christ. You know, it's not, that's not the Lord's Supper. And here's their root problem. Let's read. I know I said that was the last verse in this chapter, but let's go over a couple of more verses. Because the root problem in 1 Corinthians 11, this I say, verse 17, therefore, and testify the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. In the vanity of their mind, it's me, it's me. And, and, and nobody walks with that with that animation, but just in their head. Oh, it's me. It's me. In their mind, that's what's happening. Now, that might be comical to you, and you're laughing at it, but if you're walking around with vanity in your mind, that's what it looks like. <laughs> Silly. Don't do it. Having their understanding darkened, 
being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness, and here it is, with greediness. Their problem was they were just greedy people. That was their problem. I asked you to get Galatians. Let's get there. Their problem was greediness. And their problem was also temperance. Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians 5 verse 22. The Bible says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. They were not able to exercise restraint. How about you? You can profess something with your lips, but you've got to be able to exercise some restraint. And the reason they messed up the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 is because they were greedy. It was about them and they had no restraint. They had no temperance. Yeah, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. Yeah, you say that with your mouth. But you're not. They were just celebrating. Oh, it's just, we're just going to feast together. And it's going to be about us. Go back to 1 Corinthians 11. Let's bring that thought back to what it's supposed to be about. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 20. When you come together into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You know, when I'm reading this, it doesn't say the Lord's breakfast. I thought about that. I'm not saying it's wrong to do it in the morning. I'm just saying... The word supper does denote an evening meal. I don't know if you've thought about that before or not, but as I'm studying this out, I said, hmm, I don't think it makes so much a difference whether you do it in the morning or the afternoon or the evening. I think the command is clearly stated in verse 24. Uh, this do, <laughs> you got to do it, and you want to make sure it's in remembrance of me. So they were doing it, but it wasn't in remembrance of him. And so they had to be they had to be straightened out. But it's the Lord's Supper. You know, uh, I know ladies go through a lot of work to prepare a meal. It's the ingredients getting prepared. It's uh, all the prep work to get the food made. And then it's the cooking of the food. But as that's going on, mamas, I'm sure you're well aware of the fact that that really isn't all that has to be done. The table has to be cleaned off. The table has to be set. You want napkins in a certain place. Every every lady fixes her table a certain way. There's etiquette there. There's design there. There's organization. There's work. There's thought. And everything is laid out oh so nice. And the meal is cooked. And the children are called to the table and the family gathers around one table for a meal that mama has fixed. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And ladies, you know, when you have guests over, even more attention to detail goes into it. Why? There's guests that are coming. We do an event like a Bible conference or if you've gone to an event, you know, it's the same thing. 
detail, planning, all of that goes into that supper. Why? Because it's important. Because you take great care in your work. Because you want to do a good job and not do something slack. Do we take that much care and attention to detail when it's the Lord's Supper? Go to a restaurant on a Friday or a Saturday night. Those waitresses and those waiters and those cooks and all that staff, they are working overtime to make sure that when you sit down at their restaurant, that meal is going to be prepared exactly how you want it. The steak will be cooked oh so right. You'll make sure that the soups are hot. Make sure that the salads are fresh. Make sure that the greeters are courteous. Attention to detail goes into that. And they're messing this up in the Corinthian church. It's not about them. It's about the Lord. And if we're going to do something for ourselves or for our family or as a line of work, why won't we give enough care and attention or at least the same amount when it's the Lord's Supper? And the Lord said, hey, you come together. It's my table. It's my supper. It's about worshiping me. Not yourself. Verse 24 says, and when he had given thanks, nowadays people don't even hardly pray over their food. You think I'm kidding? Go out to eat. And watch somebody order a Big Mac, a Big Fry, a Big Coke, a Big Dessert. And they'll sit down and they'll scarf down 1,500 calories in 10 minutes and they won't even thank God for it. You can't hardly get people to bow their head just for a second. Let alone actually put some thought into putting your holding hands or having one pray than the other pray. Because having two people pray and having the effort to hold hands, that's too much work. Look, I'm not saying that's the only way to pray. I'm saying effort, more efforts going into it. It don't matter hill of beans to me if you hold hands or don't hold hands. It don't matter hill of beans to me if two pray or three pray or one pray. It's. I'm trying to point out to you, people don't want to give thanks for their own food anymore. And they're having a hard time in this Corinthian church because people don't have the Lord in them. When we come together for the Lord's Supper, let's have the Lord on our mind. Let's have the idea that it's his supper. It's the Lord's Supper. It's a bond of fellowship between brothers and sisters in Christ at one table. And that table is the Lord's table. You don't want to be more loyal to mama's homemade biscuits or your favorite pumpkin pie than you are to the Lord's table. Oh, mama's making her biscuits. And all the youngins run in and all the and everybody's there. Well, we got hot biscuits. Lord's Supper's next Sunday. Oh, yeah, well, I'll, maybe I'll be there. 
we have our priorities flipped. We've got to do all we can do to get our hearts right and our minds right. We're going to end up being rebuked like Paul's rebuking these Corinthians. The Lord's Supper. Let's not get excited about physical feasts and physical suppers. I'm not saying don't have them. I'm not saying don't get excited about them. I get excited about those biscuits. <laughs> what I'm saying is we've got physical things we get excited about. Lord saying, hey, this is my supper. Come together. The right motive, right attitude. It's about me. It ain't about you. It's not about you. People don't like certain meals because they don't like what's being served. Christ, the remembrance of Christ and what he did for us on the cross. It's enough for me. That's enough for me. First Corinthians 11, verse 21, it says, For eating, everyone taketh before his own supper. And one is hungry and another is drunken. And there it is again. It's his own. It's, it's their own supper. It's just a social gathering. What happens at social gatherings? By default, it's split into social classes. Well, you've got the rich over here and you've got the poor over here. Why is it that the rich people find each other and the poor people find each other? That's what social class is designed to do. You think you're going to eat? You think you're going to eat at the most expensive restaurant? Uh, with the most richest people, think again. They ain't inviting you. They ain't inviting me. They're doing the same thing in the church. Splitting off into social classes. It's just become a social gathering. You think poor people could contribute to what the rich people can bring as far as food? You got the rich people eating the rich food and the poor people... It just makes the Lord sick. Not supposed to be any classes. All supposed to come together. So what happens? Somebody's hungry. Somebody isn't hungry. And they've made a mess of the whole thing. It's my own supper. And you know what? I got my own food. And I don't care about you. So if you want to come, bring your own food next time. What an awful attitude. What an awful way for a Christian to think or act. My own meal, my own celebration. It's me. It's the generation of me. Help us. God help us not to be like that. Then the Bible says before other his own supper and one is hungry and another is drunken. People say it's worse today. I don't know. I've never been to a Baptist church where they're getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. This is pretty bad news. It's bad news. I can understand if you got saved out of a heathen uh, walk of life and your life was, you, you, you live as a drunkard. Uh, Roman Catholics, I mean, they'll serve up at liquor right on, the, right on their so-called altar. That's, that's, just, uh, that's just sickening to think about. But a Christian church? But a Christian's church, and that's going on? I've never been to one. I'm telling you, they had a mess going on. This is why God gave the church, like we read, and gave some pastors and teachers. Because there has to be some disciplining. There has to be some correcting. There has to be some rebuking. 
there's got to be somebody or some bodies that say, no, we're not going to do it that way. And that's what Paul did in First Corinthians. He said, no, we're not doing it that way. You think people got their feelings hurt? What's your favorite word in the English language? I doubt anybody would put their hand up and say, oh, no, I can't wait. I, I just love to hear the word no. But Paul said, no, don't quit it. No. And that's a big problem that we have nowadays. People can't stand being told, no, that's not what the Bible says. No, we're not going to do it that way because that's your way. We're not going to have the meal that way because that's your way. We're going to do what the Bible says. Well, I just think. Yeah, okay, we're going to go with the Bible. Best we know how. Best we know how. But you got people splitting into social classes, people that are drunk. And now they're feasting with alcohol. Young people, I would highly caution you to not even look at alcohol because it will it'll ruin your life if it gets a hold of you nobody that i've ever spoken to that has been addicted to the devil's brew has ever had anything good to say about it looking back it's always been regret it's never been you know what i'm really glad i was so drunk for 10 years <laughs> nobody ever says that they always say, please, young people, don't do what I did. I made a mess of so many years of my life, please. It's always regret, always. They've got it in the church. Proverbs 31, verse 6 says, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. I've got eternal life, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him, should not perish. I'm not perishing. I've got everlasting life. I don't need it. I don't need it. You don't need it either. Then it says, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. I've got a new heart. I don't have a heavy heart. Christ came in. I've got a new heart. I'm a new creature. I laid my heavy burdens on the cross of Jesus Christ. I have no need for it. I'm not dying. I have eternal life. I don't have a heavy heart. Jesus Christ gave me a new heart. I'm not perishing. And I'm thankful for it. I want to serve Christ. How about you? Their motive. Their motive is way, way off. You're a Christian now. You know what that means? Christ first. You're not number one. You're a Christian now. Christ is number one. It's all about me. No, you're a Christian now. Christ is all. I'm a somebody. No, you're a Christian now. Christ is somebody. If more professing Christians would start thinking like a Christian ought to think, we'd get so much more done for the kingdom. To wrap up this message, the Lord's Supper 
we ought to be remembering who our allegiance is to. We ought to be remembering who our dependence is on. Without his death on the cross, we'd be nothing. And they've made a mockery out of it by splitting into social classes, making it their own supper, and getting drunk. The Lord's death, that's what we're to remember. Bread, there's a there's that mill crushes all that wheat, and there's a crushing of that before you even get bread. Wine trodden in the wine press before it becomes something to drink. Verse 24, it says, Christ's body was broken for you and for me. The Bible says that Christ's blood, even uh, redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. His body was broken for you and his blood was poured out on that old rugged cross on Calvary so that you and I could have eternal life. And what he gave to the church was an ordinance of remembrance to come together often. And remember, it's the Lord's Supper. It's not your supper. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.